0: Hey, this is Steve Sims, and if you want to learn the six- and seven-figure science to success, significantly increase your revenue, and learn how to successfully build proper, professional, worthwhile relationships, you should be listening to Sell Without Selling podcast with my buddy, Stacey O'Byrne.
1: If you're ready to get out of your own way, to follow the seven-figure science of success, then welcome to Sell Without Selling. Tune in with renowned international speaker Stacey O'Byrne as she shows you how mastering relationships, achieving the proper mindset, and attaining the necessary motivation will catapult you away from failure and onto your journey to greatness. And now, here is your host, Stacy O'Byrne.
2: Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sell Without Selling. I'm your host, Stacey O'Byrne, and I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. Today, I'm speaking with a really good friend of mine, Steve Sims. Steve is known as the man with the coolest job in the world. He is the author of Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Steve is a coach as well as a speaker, and I'm going to tell you flat out, he's not one of those speakers that blows smoke up your ass. Steve is the visionary founder of the world's first luxury concierge that delivers the highest level of personal travel, transportation, and cutting-edge entertainment services to corporate executives, celebrities, professional athletes, and other discerning individuals interested in living life to its fullest. He believes if there's no passion, there's no point. And on that note, I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. I am so excited for you to hear my conversation today with Steve and really quick, If you're a business owner, entrepreneur, sales professional, and you haven't hit the level of success that you've wanted or needed, or if you're stuck and needing a pivot in your business and your success, or you just want more, and you understand the importance of having a coach to help identify the blind spots, increase accountability and help with success strategies to take you, your business, your income, and your success to the next level. If this sounds like something for you, then head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. There's a quick application there that will lead to a personal phone call with me. Okay, let's do this. Steve, thanks so much for coming.
0: It's an honor. Thank you.
2: Feeling is very mutual. My friend, you know, I really want, I really want our listeners to really get to know you. You are an amazing man an incredible business owner, a phenomenal speaker. And I'm blessed to be really getting to know you. And I really want them to understand your journey and how you've created what it is you've created. So who who is Steve
0: Sims? He's a curious Irish lad from East London. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's never changed. In fact, my wife still says that I'm a 55-year-old, 5-year-old. Um, <laughs> I think, sadly, one of the attributes, and it can never be taught or trained, one of the attributes and I suppose one of my unicorns that has made me who I am is, is curiosity. You know, mm-hmm. I've pushed buttons. I shouldn't, I've, I pulled things apart that I shouldn't have and I couldn't put back together. I've gone into rooms and I've gone into situations where I was ill qualified or, you know, uh, not able to kind of like keep it up. So the bottom line of it is that curiosity has propelled me forward. Um, mm-hmm. And along the way I've been able to get somewhere. And the trouble is a lot of people, they try to plan for perfection. Hmm. I've just done. And again, a, a little quote from my wife. And I think this is a good one. But she said, I've never overthought anything in my life. I've just done it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you get into trouble. But isn't that where all the education is? It is. When, when you go and you try something. Like, let's be blunt. The first time you did a podcast. Mm-hmm. Now, I love you, Stacey. You know that. So I'm going (laughs) to get that out of the way first. But you got it. The first time you did a podcast, Mm -hmm. was it shit compared to what it is now?
2: Oh, hell yeah. It was so robotic and mechanical and painful.
0: There you go. There you go. So the bottom line of it is when you know that the first time you do anything, it's gonna be shit compared to what it's gonna be like a year later, Mm -hmm. doesn't it give you the green flag to just go and try things?
2: It does for me. However, I think for most entrepreneurs, most self-employed business owners, they get stuck in the minutia of overanalyzing and then suffering that paralysis and then they don't take action or they take action too late.
0: I heard a statement by a buddy of mine, Joe Polish, um, that kind of summed up my life. He said to me, the definition of hell is to meet the man or woman you could have been. Mm, yeah. And you say all of those things about anticipation, paralysis, overplanning, you know stuck in the quagmire, stuck in your rut, you know, not winning or take a chance. All of those things are horrible. Just imagine that you were in the exact same position, as successful as anyone is. Mm -hmm. Just imagine if you had no growth for the next year.
1: Hmm.
0: Wouldn't that be horrible? Yeah, we were talking earlier before we started this about a camping experience I had, okay? (laughs) I'd never done it before, so I was trying something new. And I went to Yosemite because I'd never, I can literally say that I am a different man today than I was three months ago. Mm -hmm. My definition of hell is to not try. My fear is to be in the exact same position in a year's time. And if you're sitting there at the moment going, oh God, I I don't know how to do this. And I've I've got these woes and I've got these bills and oh, I've got these insecurities. I've got all of this. Well, how horrible would it be to have those still in a year's time and for you to have done nothing about it?
2: Absolutely. And the only way to learn how to do something about it is to surround yourself with coaches that know and also step into it and do it because if it's not in your neurology, the only way it's ever going to get in your neurology is if you do it to learn what worked and what didn't work. Yeah, you
0: pay. I, I've always thought that um we both coach. Yeah. So let's 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 talk about coaching in a moment. Um, I have four coaches. Okay. And there's a lot of people that are kind of, you have a coach? Well we all, do, we, we were talking earlier about Jay Abraham, hats mm-hmm. off. Love you, Jay. Yeah. Um, Jay's one of my coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, Mine. <laughs> the bottom line of it is, is that even when you're a coach, you're still a student. Yeah. Okay. You're still pushing yourself more. I have a, I have a saying within my coaching community that is your coach an asset or an invoice? Mm. Now, yeah. the second you look, you can answer one of those, and obviously the invoice one, stop working with that coach. Yeah. But I train with a coach to save me years, mm. to save me scars. And so I have a coach that trains me how to ride my motorcycle faster around a racetrack. Mm. Now, I guarantee that if I didn't employ that person, give me another five years, countless crashes, bunch of repairs and I would probably be learning that skill that he could save me all that time by teaching me over a three-month period yeah so you're paying a coach to save you the scars the mishaps the mistakes and learn from someone that has so quite rightly when you're out there picking a coach have they ever failed have they ever had challenges in their life have they ever had mistakes and if the answer is no they've never had any of that well quite bluntly never use them (laughs) because they ain't educated I don't want to learn diet formulas from a skinny model that's never been over 110 pound in her life right I want to learn how to diet from someone that was a 500 pound monster Mm -hmm. that has been able to make themselves trim and healthy that's the person I'm going to listen to yeah
2: yeah absolutely you know for me I have seven coaches I I'm a huge advocate (laughs) No, you know, for me, I, I, I want harmony in every area of my life. So I hire a coach for every area of life to really help me thrive, really live, you know, this, this existing part, this, this settling for less or settling for ordinary, it's just not a life that, that I desire or choose to live. So, you know, Jay is, I, I, I was so excited to hire him as a coach at, at the end of last year. And, and the impact that he's made uh, in my way of thinking and shifting paradigms has been phenomenal. And, you know, I, I, I just recently hired, it's funny that, that, that you bring up, the, the diet coach, you know, for me, I hired a, a nutritionist to really fine tune my nutrition so that every micro and macronutrient I put in my body, I understand the purpose of it. And um, I'm having a blast. You know, these mm. coaches, every one of them push me to my limit. And, and it's funny that, that you say, are they an asset or an invoice? I just had I just had a client text me, a brand new client, who's been on board for a couple months and business is significantly increasing. And he's come to this crossroads of, you know, we've grown so fast that he needs to hire. And his comment to me was, Stace, my investment with you is another employee. And I go, eh, your investment with me is really a protection for the future. I work with you, not for you, and working with me is gonna help you build resources. And if you really look at our relationship that way, then you don't need me. And he goes, no, wait, I do need you. And I go, well, then you get to shift the way you look at the investment with a coach, because my job is to be an asset versus a liability. If your P&L's growing, if your cash flow statement's increasing, if everything is on the right side of the index, you get to shift the investment. That's just reality.
0: Why is it then? And I, we had no idea where this conversation was going to go. Right. But it's always stunned me at how people look at a coach. And I, I'm going to say loud and clear, anyone out there, get what works for you. Yeah. Okay. It may not be Stacy. it may not be me, it may not be Jay, it may not be... Get what works for you, but get. Mm-hmm. That's the key. You meet the most dynamic, powerful people, Kobe Bryant. Top of the game had a coach, Michael Schumacher, you know, Valentino Rossi. All of the actors out there have speaking coaches, dialect coaches. The President Obama used to talk about his coach, you know, Steve Jobs had a coach. Yep. You know, all of these people at the top of that field needed to refine what they couldn't see. Yeah, and it's still, even today, the classic line you've heard it before. I don't know if I can afford it, mm. okay? The second that statement comes up, the response is, you can't afford not to do this. Yeah. You know, so it, it is funny. Again, this isn't, this isn't a, a, a public service announcement no. for you know, no. the Stacey and Sims coaching program. It's a declaration that if you are aggravated, if you are um, concerned with where you are today, if you are unhappy, about your position yeah. today, you need help.
2: Yeah, you know when I when I went through the embezzlement with my ex business partner and and it ended up, you know, I ended up filing bankruptcy and losing millions of dollars of assets. Uh, I went out and figured out a way to hire a coach because I mm-hmm. knew something. I was in an area I had never navigated before. And the only way that I believed I could get out of it was to hire someone who had a path that could elevate me so that I could see the forest through the trees. And, you know, and I did. And the coach I hired, ironically, lost a seven-figure business, filed bankruptcy, and built an eight-figure business. So I, and I didn't know it when I interviewed her. It was the funniest thing. And through it, she goes, I really look, I really feel like I'm looking in the mirror 15 years ago. <laughs> and I got to tell you, it's the best thing that ever happened. It's the best thing that ever happened for me. When people ask me, Stace, what do you cost? And I look at them and go to work with me or not work with me. Because that's Ooh. really reality.
0: That's a smooth line. I'm stealing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's
2: my coaching pickup line. Not.
0: It's, uh, yeah. That was, that was a good one. That was smooth.
2: So Steve, what what has been your journey as a business owner? Because you you, you own several businesses now, and I want to get into the dynamics of each of them, because they all kind of shake each other's hands, and they're all also multifaceted and have different focuses. So what's this journey been like for you as an
0: entrepreneur? So, again, go back to the curiosity. As a lad in uh, East London, uh, I left school at the age of 15, went straight onto my dad's building site. This was in the 80s and 90s. So I didn't have Facebook and Instagram just to show me how inadequate my life was. It was a gut reaction. I was like, hang on a minute. Is this it? I'm 15 years old now. I'm on a building site with guys in their 70s and 80s. Mm. We're getting rained on because that's the beautiful tropical weather of London. You know, we're getting rained on, we're getting cut up, we're going home at night and we've got dirt and scrapes and bruises all over us, too tired to go out. So I knew how to work hard, but I wasn't working smart. Mm. Also, while I joke about Facebook, I didn't have, we didn't have podcasts, we didn't have Facebook groups, we didn't have online courses, we didn't have any of those things that could have helped me, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, in effect, we got too much and you have to shift through the crap to find the diamonds. But at the time, it was all down to a gut reaction that went, there's gotta be something else. And I remember one day, I'm a biker, always will be on two wheels until sadly the day I'm not. And I was in a bar in London, and I remember basically my bank account was in my right pocket. <laughs> and I remember it was one of those things that you kind of like week, eked out your week's wages see how many times you could go to the pub. And it was like a Thursday and I had like a few quid left in my pocket. And I was trying to work out how many more beers I could buy. And I remember it was like, I'd calculated it to like one and a third. Now this wasn't uncommon. I had a beer in front of me. I could afford another one and then I could afford a third of one. So it wasn't uncommon for us to just like look at each other on a time, right, throw your coins in and you'd buy a, a number of beers you could with the remaining coins and divvy it out to everyone in in the bar okay yep. in this pub and I'm thinking to myself I'm in a room full of broke-ass bikers mm. this is normal for them that we're not feeling bad we're not feeling humiliated it's like I throw your change on let's see what we can get out of it and I thought to myself all broke broadcast bikers so what am I and it was obvious to me at that time, I was a combination of that room. I was, I was a cog. I was the exact same as everyone in that room. And I realized at that time, I need to change my room. Mm. I need to change the room I'm in where us throwing money on the, the table while it's all helping the buddies out to get another beer in them. It isn't helping our life out. It isn't helping us. We're settling for another third of a beer, you know? And so I went out and I started And I remember the first thing that I did was these new things started popping up in London called wine bars. And this was the trendy where all the yuppies were now going. Mm-hmm. And you bought imported beers, you know, like Corona. You know, I remember now you wouldn't touch a Corona, but you know, at the time this was like, oh my God, it's, it's imported from Mexico, you know, and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and they charge you like 15 quid for it or something. And I remember being in this bar and I was affording like two, two and a half to three beers in my other pub. Mm-hmm. And I was able to afford one beer and had like a couple of couple of pence left. Oh wow in this wine bar. It was nice. so much more expensive, yeah. but I was in a different room. Yeah. So I started watching people. I would I would spend three hours on that beer. Okay. And I started changing the rooms I was in. I started demanding more of me, which not a lot of people do. They don't action it. They bitch. They whine. oh, my life's shit. Oh, the people I hang around with this crap. My job's rubbish. Hmm. You know? Don't tell me. Tell the mirror and then do something about it. <laughs> yeah. And so I went out to try and find it. I went back to work and I went up on the scaffolding. And this is a, a, a little story that was actually in the book. I went up the scaffolding one day and my dad was at the top of the scaffolding yep. next to him was my uncle who was slightly younger than my dad. And then my uh, two cousins, which were in their late teens and mid twenties. And then my granddad who was in his eighties, it was my entire family lifeline from where I was,
2: mm-hmm.
0: to where I was going to be. Wow. And I went down into the tea hut and I said, I went up to granddad Now, grand, I've got to tell you this for a start. My granddad was a seven foot Irish monster, mammoth of a man. And I looked at him and I ran up and I went, granddad, granddad, did you ever think you'd be doing this when you were this age? Now, no one wants to hear that statement. Right. Now, my granddad was also a punchy paddy. So, you know, he would, he, and I, I should have got a smack in the nose for being disrespectful. But he didn't even look at me. He blew into his tea to kind of like, you know, cool it down a bit before he got some warm liquid in him. And he said these words, these exact words that have been scarred on me forever. He went, son, if you don't quit today, you'll be me tomorrow. And I was like, shit. And I came out of the the tea hut when the bell went. And I went running up to my dad. Now, I told you my granddad was seven foot. (laughs) Yep. I'm 245 pound of ugly and I'm a you know, couple of millimetre under six foot. My poor dad was like five foot six. For some reason, he missed the height gene pool completely and was oh. like a shorter man. <laughs> so as I went running up to him, I'm like, dad, dad, dad. He hated being called dad on the building site. But I'm all like spiked up on my granddad's uh, kind of like motivation for me to get out. And I'm like, dad, dad, dad. And he's like, Shh, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I, I went up there and I saw you and I saw and then I came down, I saw granddad. I said, yeah, and he said, if you don't quit today, you would be me. And I'm babbling like a moron. And I said to my dad, i got to quit. Now here's the funny thing. My granddad walked behind me at that time. Now my granddad, again, being so large, when he walked behind you, you knew that there was a sequoia tree behind you. <laughs> <laughs> he, would, right. he would like cast a shadow. And here was the funny thing. And I'll always remember this. My dad is looking up to me because I'm like, you know, good inches above, uh, taller than him. And then he looks past me and looks up even further to look at his dad. They gestured to each other. He looked back down at me and he went, you finished Friday. Now, then with those words, my granddad then continued to walk. Wow. Bad thing was, I never ever got to see my dad and my granddad alive again to be able to tell him what he did to me. Now I started a ton of jobs: stockbroker, yacht charter, uh, um, security guard, ton of jobs, which I got fired from all of them, and ended up getting a ropey job as a doorman on a on a on a nightclub in Hong Kong. Wow. That's how much I was trying to see how far my room needed to change. I even changed country so i had no you know handcuffs to my past mm-hmm. and i ended up working in this nightclub and i thought to myself my job description now is to go thump that fella that's my job description you know how could i take how could i go from a masonry a bricklayer, which is a skilled profession into now my my job is just to smack smack them and mm-hmm. i felt so dejected But the funny thing was that door position gave me the pedestal I needed, the soapbox I needed to watch people. I then started to create my room. I started to protect my front door. If Hmm. I'm going to let someone in this drunk, I'm going to be kicking them out in an hour's time. Okay, Protect your front. I learned so much from that front door that I still use today for my business, but it got me the chance to see how affluent people deal and how people pretend it. Let me give you an example. So any of you out there can see this. I'm on the door. A doorman's job is to look intimidating and scary. When the car pulls up, I would play in my head and I would ask myself this question. I got a newbie here. Is he driving the car or is the car driving him? Mm. And I would ask that question. If he gets out, grabs his jacket, runs around, opens up the door for his girlfriend, his wife, his partner, and uh, then tips the guy to look after the car and then walks in, almost ignoring the crowds looking at his car, hey, he's driving the car. Mm -hmm. But how many times do we see people get out of a car And they pull the jacket out and they put it on almost like it's slow motion. (laughs) Check me out. Yep, that's right. It's a nice car. Look around at the crowd. Walk over. You know, disrespectfully look at the valet boy and go, you look after this boy or there'll be trouble. You know, all. and then you realize he needs the car. The car was driving him. And how many times you see someone, especially in a sales situation... That they're trying to show the trinkets of success. So they're wearing that Rolex, they're wearing that Patek, they're wearing that Audemars, whatever the fancy watch is. But instead of having it covered by that suit, the left-hand side of the sleeve is always open so you can clock the fact that they're wearing a 10-grand suit that they <laughs> spanked that credit card on, you yeah. know? yeah, That's another example of the watches wearing them, not the other way around. So I started to notice these things and started to start having conversations. And I wanted to ask the curious kid in me, I wanted to get hold of a rich person and I wanted to ask him one question. Why are you rich and I'm not? Now, in order to do that, I knew where all the nightlife was so I could get him into clubs and parties. I started throwing my own parties, which was the birth of the whole concierge firm. But I never wanted to start a concierge firm. I wanted, the concierge firm was a Trojan horse Mm -hmm. to get me into the rooms of affluent people. And I've asked the most powerful people in the planet, including the Pope. (laughs) And the first question I started asking people was, why are you rich and I'm not? And that's the worst question you can ask. Mm. Because if I ask you, Stacey, hey, how rich are you? you suddenly start thinking about your bank account. Because rich, you go, well, okay. Got my house, got my car, you got my bank. You know, you start thinking about the monetary.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I realized I wasn't getting the answers I wanted. So then I would go up and I'd be like, hey, how are you wealthy? And I'm not. Now, wealth starts coming into my religion, the way I treat others, my partner, You know, I I married my partner or I met my partner when I was young and they've supported me. That doesn't help me. I can't marry your partner. So, you know, again, bad question. The one that won was why are you successful? And I'm not. Nice. And once I discovered the right question, I got the right answers. Now people were telling me about the mindset. And then I realized then you don't lose weight by buying the diet book. Yeah. You lose weight by action in it. Losing weight is nothing more than a byproduct of the action. Mm-hmm. Therefore, becoming rich monetarily is a byproduct of having a successful mindset. Yeah. And as soon as I clicked that, I was able to go, ah, oh, that's how you do that. Uh. And the good thing about a successful mindset is you ain't got to buy a course on it. You haven't got to make a payment on it. You've just got to action it. If someone says X, Y, Z, why would you ignore it? If, if I gave you a half hour conversation with Elon Musk on how to make $5 million by the end of the week, what kind of moron would you have to be to not action that advice? I know, right? <laughs> so as I'm asking all of these people, how come you're successful and I'm not? I'm getting all this information and I'm starting to action it. Mm-hmm. And one of them was think bigger. One mm-hmm. of them was think stupid. Nice. You know, and I remember years, years, years later, I was working with this little fella, name drop alert, Elon Musk. And um, I had a client that was chatting to him and the client was a little bit annoying. And the client turned around and was talking to him about how NASA had always kind of like, you know, laughed at all his attempts with SpaceX. And now they were going to become your biggest client. This was just before They actually partnered Mm -hmm. and Elon turned around. He went, well, here's the funny thing is they will always laugh at you just before they applaud. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So I've always gone for stupid. I've always dreamed bigger. I've always actioned bigger. Um, and I've always worked off of that success, but I was that curious kid still today. And even with you getting to know you, I love, prodding people, finding out what makes you tick, why you do what you do, how come you're successful, what is your relationship to rich and wealth? I love asking those questions. And I think it's my curiosity that keeps me going.
2: I love that. So one thing that I really want our our listeners to hear was uh, one of our conversations, I think it was a couple months ago, you had shared with me how you got your uh, publishing deal for your book and uh, it's, it's the epitome of everything you just laid out. It's really who you are and how you are. And when you show up this way, where you'll talk with anyone, talk about anything with anyone, and really push the boundaries with your curiosity, shit happens, it's, it's inevitable. You know, so, so I I want you to share that story if you're okay, because it it really is
0: And again, there's no rocket science behind this. Right back at the beginning of this, when I said to you, I was in that bad pub. Mm -hmm. uh, Actually, it wasn't a bad pub, we were just all broke. Um, (laughs) I said that, you know, you needed to change the room you're in. If you're in a room full of challenges, uh, successful, curious, creative disruptors, you become one of those just by vicinity, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And when you're talking to one of those people, things happen. There's no good talking about investment uh, plans with a bunch of broke people, you know? But how many people sell that car? They've suddenly got 10 grand. They go down to the pub and they're getting investment advice off of Joey at the end of the bar that's never left that bloody bar stall in his life, yeah. you know? Yeah. Who suddenly got an opinion because he saw a 20-minute special on it, you know? But that's what we're fueled with. I was in a, um, a party in New York talking to this girl. And uh, thankfully, I was with my wife. The reason for that will become apparent in a second. Not the reason she's my wife, but <laughs> the I was so happy she was with her. I never want to question why she's my wife. You know, I'm, never, I'm not that stupid. Um, and uh, I'm talking to this young girl and I'm giving her one of my stories. I can't remember what the story was. I actually have no idea. She slams her drink down and runs away from me. So fast that the guy behind the bar felt her move, saw her move and looked around at me and kind of like, what did you do buddy, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's why I was like, thank God my wife's with me because by now everyone will be staring at me going, you yeah, know, what did I do It was inappropriate? Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden she comes running back with this other woman and she's like, tell that story again, tell it, tell it. So I'm like, all right. So I told the story and um, she ended up having to be one of the seniors at Simon & Schuster. Yeah. And a week later, they sent me an email with a large retainer and a book deal. <laughs> and uh, I was like, this is incredible. But the book needed to be written or was requested to be written about all the powerful rich people in the planet that I worked with and what I did with them. Mm. And I said to them, I can't do that. Because if I name some of these names, I'm, I'm dead before cocktail hour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I can't do that. I ended up doing a speech for Joe Polish at his Genius Network event. And they somehow had someone there and it got back and someone went, oh, this guy, Steve, Schoen. yeah, we've heard of this guy. So they ended up watching the replay of his video and they contacted me and they said, hang on a minute, we don't want to know about who you worked with. We want to know how a 15-year-old bricklayer Suddenly, has Sir Richard Branson, Sir Elton John, Elon Musk, and the Pope in that rolodex. Yeah, that's what we want to know. So, uh, and the funny enough, the guy that I went to to talk over this was Jay, and <laughs> I actually said to Jay because i would known Jay for years, and I said, "You're not going to believe this fella. You know, I've just been off with a book deal." So I went down to his house, and we got drunk. Um, and Michelle, I remember Michelle put down a little recording a little recording machine. In fact, she said, you ain't going to remember this in the morning. So I'm going to record everything now and then you can take it with you. But nice. that was what we did. So we actually just talked through the different parameters, the different ideas and we, we put the book together. Um, I, the one good thing is I got paid, again, thanks to Jay helping me negotiate it. I got paid a disgusting retainer. Okay. Mm. A disgustingly good retainer, I should say. Yeah. That means that I didn't have to write a book to sell because I'd already got paid, Mm -hmm. which meant Mm -hmm. I could now write the book I wanted to write. I could be as inappropriate, as crude, as direct, as blunt as I wanted to be. So when the book got released, uh, 13th of October, three years ago, Hmm. they said to me, can you go to Barnes & Noble and sign copies on a Saturday Saturday afternoon? I said, no. No one's going to come near me with, you know, can you imagine walking in with your little, your little girl going, come on, you know, (laughs) Lily, come over. and Let's see what this friendly little man's writing about, you know? So that was not good. So I actually took over a whiskey bar in Hollywood and um, did my book launch from a whiskey bar. And it's actually on the front page of my website. You can see this video. But of course, again, when you know, good, good people, good things happen. So I had, Jay couldn't make it for that one, actually. He was invited, but we had Jim Quick, Lewis Howes, uh, Matt Maddox, Greg Reed. You know, a whole bunch of people mm-hmm. came to this event. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did the launch, and I think I sold 400 copies. <laughs> now, in the world of, of writing books, if, if you're not aware, that's bad. Yep. When you've got one of the biggest publishing houses that's just produced it, and you sell 400 copies... That regretting doing that book deal with you. (laughs) And so the second month, you're gonna love this, it was less. (laughs) And I got the words, don't call us again, we'll let you know, okay? And then the third month, I think it was 8,000 copies and it just went stupid from there. Now it's been released and translated into Polish, Thai, Vietnamese, Korean, uh, Mandarin Chinese, Um, And it's just got released in Russian Um, and they've all become bestsellers. So now it's done. So now they're happy. Now they answer my call. (laughs) At the time they didn't. So it was a very, very strange thing. So, you know, you
2: dropped a lot of golden nuggets there and and I kind of want to help pick them up. You know, one of the things that 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 screams is you're willing to have a conversation with anyone and you're willing to take that conversation in any direction so that it serves both parties. Is that fair? No. No,
0: really? No, I have, I have a bullshit meter that is, that is pinpoint accuracy. Okay. Um, and so whenever, I'm, I'm useless at networking events. Um, that's why predominantly I don't go. Uh, I will talk to someone for a couple of seconds and then decide whether or not I want them in my world. Um, and,
2: okay. So I'm so, also
0: 55. So I know I don't have many more years left. And so I don't am, say that. <laughs> but no, I'm just hell. And I wish I could have learned this year years ago. I'm hellishly selfish on the time I give anybody, you know, you absolutely adore your girl. So, you know, I'm <laughs> thrilled to be spending time with you, mm-hmm. but I've been on podcasts before and this may sound like an asshole move. I've gone, do you know, this is dull. Let's, let's, yeah, I know it's going to mess up your schedule, but I can't spend half hour with you. And I've left after five minutes. Wow. Okay. Because I'm not going to waste my time. I'm also, if people like this person, then they're not going to be my person. So I am, I, so I love having a conversation once I've got past that first few minutes. And if you remember and you ordered it, we had an introductory call before we put this podcast together.
2: Absolutely.
0: And if that had gone wrong <laughs> for either of us, we wouldn't be doing this podcast.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And and I guess I guess that's the point I was making. You look for the win win in relationships, and yeah. and and that whole bullshit meter has served you well. And a lot of people, a lot of people call it their gut instinct. Some people yep. call it their bullshit meter. Some people call it their unconscious mind. Regardless of what it is you call it it requires a high trust in self to be able to access it and honor it. Because so many people waste resources by not doing so, and then they end up, the relationship goes south, they end up getting screwed, they waste time, whatever, right?
0: Yeah, you, you've reframed it perfectly. You are 100% accurate.
2: So I let's look at the flip side. You know, you've spent your journey researching why people are successful and you weren't yep let's flip the coin and why do you think statistics are so high as to why business owners entrepreneurs self-employed don't make it I mean 97% of them that set out on their journey fail and accept it and stay there why
0: do you think that is because they accept and stay there (laughs) <laughs> I will, I will tell you, I saw, I saw this, mm. you know, I, I, I physically saw it happen. But there's one big reason that successful people are successful and non-successful people are non-successful. They lean into failures.
1: Mm.
0: Now I was with, do you remember when Elon Musk, he calculated that one of the most expensive things about getting a rocket into space, was the fuel cells. Yep. Because of a wreck rocket, it, that's about 80% of the bloody rocket yep. is these sodding great fuel cells. If he could find a way of bringing those back, refueling them and use them again, he saves billions, Yeah. okay? Sounds a simple thing, but that's how Elon works. Works with simplicity and clarity. Mm -hmm. So what he did was, do you remember seeing the rocket fuselage started to land, and then it wouldn't quite settle right, it'd fall over, and it would explode? Yep, yep. You remember seeing it? Yep. And you probably saw it a few times on the news with different ones that kept on exploding, correct? Yes, yes. When was the last time you saw one land? Uh, It's
2: been a really long time. Do you know know why? Because they
0: don't? (laughs) No, because they land perfectly. Yeah, in the water. It's no longer interesting. Yep. You see, what happened was I was down at Hawthorne and I was down at the SpaceX plant and they had all the computers there and all the technicians watching it and Elon's watching it. And this fuselage comes down and it starts kind of like going left to right, left to right, yeah. starts recorrecting itself, lands on the pad, topples a little bit. One of the afterburners goes off to the right. It falls over and explodes. Mm-hmm. Now I'm with a bunch of guests at the back And a bunch of these guests went, (laughs) and they covered their mouth and they lent back because billions of dollars had just got blown up. Mm -hmm. The rest of the room, thankfully, those people in control and Elon, they put both hands on the desk and they lent into the data. Yeah, Where did this go wrong? Because the education is not from the thing landing right. How many times have you like, you know, smacked a golf ball or you know played snooker or hit tennis and it's been perfect you've gone how did I do that I don't know can you do it again (laughs) no it was a fluke okay yeah but they don't believe in flukes they want pinpoint accuracy on where it went wrong because when they know where it went wrong they can correct that now he's been up and down in space a whole ton of times you never see it because he got it right here's the here's it for the write-up Successful people lean into the failure mm. to gather the education on what went wrong. Yeah. Unsuccessful people lean back, grab their head, scream out loud, throw a pity party and suddenly start serving you a coffee in your next drive through at Starbucks. So when something goes wrong, ask yourself, is there educational gold in that moment? and you mentioned about bankruptcy, you know, you mentioned about embezzlement. Those are education. I bet you're way smarter. If I wanted to know about recognizing embezzlement, wouldn't you be a good person for me to talk to? Yeah, absolutely. See, the bottom line of it is your worst moments, your worst relationship with someone was great education on the relationship you didn't want. Yeah. You know, the worst mistake you made in marketing was the greatest education on how to do it better, Yeah. okay? So successful people, they don't fail, they just become hellishly educated.
2: Oh, you know, that's a brilliant point because uh, something I've noticed a lot on social media is people are wearing failure as a badge of honor today. However, they're missing the key point about it. And that's extracting the learning from it to implement and shift and adjust. Everyone just turns around and where's this badge? Yeah, I failed. Oh yeah, I started a business that failed. And it's not about the failure. It's about what you get from the failure that you can evolve from, take traction with and shift
0: and adjust. Well, the sad thing is we, we're in a society now where we're all throwing pity parties. You know, like, here's a prime example, which I can't even watch it for many other reasons, but I definitely can't watch it for this. But every time you see a uh, a show on TV now that is like a dance competition, a singing competition, a talent competition, what's the first thing they show you for 60 seconds to two minutes? It's the story of the person about to come up on stage. And it talks about how they lost the the third leg of their dog and Rosie the goldfish died when they were two years old. And it's like, pour the pity on. (laughs) And then the person gets out on stage and everyone cheers because they've only got three fingers on their left hand and they cheer them, but they sing like shit. And they are not now focusing on the talent, they are focusing on the pity, you know? And everyone out there now is, is throwing a pity parade. I don't care about what you went through. I care about how it improved you. I care about how it educated you. And more importantly, I care about how what you learned can now impact others. Mm-hmm. I don't mm. think pity has a place in today's uh, society. Or if it does, it ain't in my world. Yeah, the pity, the, the, the
2: pity party culture
0: and the cancel culture are really doing us a huge in service. And mm-hmm. the handout, add a third one. We're in a handout society. There are people now that don't want to go to work anymore because they're getting more handouts than when they actually had to work. Now that's going to crap on them soon when they've got to suddenly catch up on all that rent and stuff. But at the moment, stupid people ain't getting any smarter. I've always said, hey, when we finish curing COVID, can then we start focusing on curing stupidity? <laughs> you know,
2: people can react or respond to their environment. If you react to it, you'll become a victim to it. If you respond to it, you'll control it. That's just reality.
0: Yeah, Sean Stevenson always said. Uh, Did you ever bump into Sean? Did you ever meet Sean?
2: I have not. No.
0: So yeah, a bit late in the game now. I'm afraid he's died. Um, but Sean was a was a fantastic, witty, clever, uh, articulate doctor. Actually. Um, who was told at the early age uh, to his parents that, you know, he'd be dead by three. Um, they, they got that wrong. Um, mm-hmm. But when he coughed, bones would break in his body. Uh-huh. He was that fragile. Wow. And he had a wheelchair that he was always with him. And he was always say, I'm on it, not in it. And he said, you don't understand. This was done for me, not to me. Mm-hmm. And so he would always own and opportunitize any situation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, when uh, it's funny because I tell my wife all the time that separation between my ex-business partner and I, that entire experience is probably the biggest gift that has ever presented itself to me Yep, because it really allowed me to, to learn, love and live. It really did. And yep. it's been, a, it's been an incredible gift. And reality is I have evolved to to an even bigger appreciation to who I am, what I have. And now I'm doing what I love and I don't feel like I ever do anything. And I do a lot. <laughs> so, which leads me to, there's, there's three things I wanna talk about. Your media company mm-hmm. and your speakeasy, which I am just <laughs> thrilled and infatuated about. And uh, then your concierge. Your, your concierge is, is, is phenomenal. And I love, I love how you poke at people and how you really drill down to the why to really understand what it is they want and why it is they want it.
0: Well, it's funny that, and you, you answered this, so you, you're, you're a very insightful person. You mentioned this earlier, that everything I do shakes hands with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the concierge firm was an excuse. It was never supposed to be a business. It was an excuse for me to get your attention, give you something you wanted, give you a great cocktail story, but also give me 30 minutes of your time and engagement to be able to ask you questions, okay? Mm -hmm. You were my PhD. Um, And so when I was asking clients, I learned very, very early on, never give a client what they ask for. Give them what they lust and desire for. And I would always use the most aggressive, uh, confrontational word, known to mankind why and so people go hey you know i, I want to do this and you match it with the enthusiasm you go oh that sounds fantastic that's oh that's awesome why mm-hmm. and then shut up and they'll be like oh uh, hmm. and most people <laughs> don't actually get asked why and I like people will DM me now and they'll be like, hey Steve, I'm in LA, we should get together for a beer. And I'll respond with why. <laughs> and then people will respond with one of two ways. I get a lot of hatred from that question. I get a lot of people going, Well, I heard you were cool, you're obviously a dick. You know, you're full of yourself. You think you're wonderful. And I'm like, Great, fine, fair enough. And then I'll get other people going, Great question. I'm actually launching a business. I'd like to. And that gives me the education to know whether or not I want to spend time with them. Yeah. That's okay. Fair. So I always used to drill down into it. And that's what I did at a concierge business. Now I haven't run uh, well, obviously COVID's put a, put a stop on that for a year and a half, but I haven't had much to do with a concierge firm for like three and a half years now. You know, mm-hmm. my team has been, been handling that, but that Y formation would always come down to well are are you asking yourself the right question? You know why do you want to do this experience? Why do you want to do that without John? Why now? And that why factor made me realize that this is something that's bigger and can be brought into anyone's company. And so we launched Sims Media because I became really good, and I use the word that people don't want to use, but manipulating the press, okay? I was great at getting myself article. I got an article, not only in the Rob report, I can't believe I got this. Not <laughs> only did I get a massive article in the Rob report, I sweet talked to the editor at the time to actually write a personal letter of recommendation to me that would also be included in every single copy um, of the Rob report. Wow. And I thought to myself, he ain't going to go with that. And he did. And so I managed to get all of these things. And I thought to myself, and this was actually just before COVID. I thought to myself, the way I've been able to massage, manipulate and orchestrate media, and media takes on so many different platforms. It could be podcasts like this. It could be online courses, articles, blogs, uh, TV, radio, so many different ways. Speaking, it's all media. Media is the platform that you use to get your voice out. So if you can do it by standing on a soapbox on the edge of a busy train station, that's a media platform. So media is nothing more than than the amplification of your voice message tone and solution. Mm -hmm. Could I do it for other people? So then we started taking some of my coaching clients and we're like, Hey, you know, you've got a company. We had a, a makeup, a vegan makeup line. A lot of people don't know that most makeup is vegan, but anyway, um, yeah, vegan makeup line, we had a, a transportation company, a plumber, uh, a coach, a couple of authors. And I started going, well, can I do the same thing for each one of these? And we could. So we launched Sims Media to basically amplify your message, your tone, while you're trying to get out there. So quite simply, so you can get the clients that you want, mm-hmm. not the clients you're getting. Yeah. And we discovered that a lot of that was using the same formation I've never given a client what they asked for. Given what they lust and desire. Like you and I'm sure you've heard this, people go, "Hey, I need a coach. I need to make a million dollars." And you go, "Oh, that sounds fantastic. Why?" Yep. Cuz I want to be rich. Where the hell are you living that you think a million dollars is going to make you rich?
2: Not in you know? Yeah. If you're
0: in Manhattan, <laughs> you've got an apartment the size of my toilet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, You've got to basically be more specific to understanding what are you looking for financial security and, and, and a comfortable uh, future, or are you looking for a million dollars? Because they're not the same. Okay. Really so you've got to be open to confront the request. And we did that. And that's how we launched uh, both companies, the concierge firm, to question what the client And of course, when you question the client, and in fact, I'll give you a little story because I think you'll like this one. Okay. Uh, I had an office in Palm Beach and this guy phoned up uh, and we were working with Sir and John. We worked with him for like about eight years for his uh, Hollywood party. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got this client, not a client, got this guy phoned up. And one of the teams said, Steve, can you handle this? So I'm getting a funny read on this guy. So I said, sure, put him through to me. So he put him through and um, I said, Hey, how can I help you? And they went, yeah, I want to get a photograph with Sir Elton John. And I believe you're working with him for his Elton John Oscar party. And I went, that sounds great. That's brilliant. Why? He's like, well, he's great. He's an icon. Probably going to die soon. Uh, He's brilliant. uh, And I want to get a photograph of my desk. Hmm. That was it. Not a lot of depth in that. Why is that? Nope. <laughs> so I said to him, well, that sounds fantastic. What I'll do is let me make some calls. and I'll come back to you. Thank you very much. I never took his name, number, email, nothing hung up. That was the end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. I should say that he was a brash New Yorker. Okay. There's a reason that I bring that out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: About a month before the event, one of the team contacts me and I was off site and they contact me on the cell and they went, I don't think it's the same guy, but I've got another guy on the phone, same accent, same brashness. I've got an idea. It's the other guy's mate hmm. phoning up to see, you know, why you didn't help him out or to see if he can sneak him in this way. And I went out ah, and put it through. So my head was already on, I'm going to get rid of you. I'm going to dump you. Mm-hmm. So this brash New Yorker comes on. He's like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, I know you do this. I want to get a photograph with Swell and John. Oh that sounds fantastic. Why? Why? <laughs> and he goes quiet. And he went well changes tone.
2: Hmm. Uh,
0: the guy's the guy's an icon. He's he's brilliant, you know. I I, I want to see him. I you know he's, the guy's getting older. Um, so I don't know how long he's going to be in the public eye and stuff like that. So a slightly different merge on he's going to be, you know dead soon kind of thing, but still had the age concern in there. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, and I just, there's not many chances I get. And well, yeah, there's things. So some of what he was saying was very similar to the other guy, Mm -hmm. but not exactly. He still had a concern with his age. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if anyone had read something that Elton was ill or something like that, but it was concerning. So he said, there's things. So I said to him, okay, what things? He just shut up. Mm. There was peace and there was quiet on the call. Mm-hmm. And then he responded. He said, when I was a kid, he had his soft voice. He said, when I was a kid, my dad used to take me to school. He mm-hmm. used to drive me to school. He used to drive me back from school. It, it was our thing. Never my mum My dad would do it every single day that I was at school.
2: Wow.
0: And the car that he had had a cassette in it and it was stuck. We couldn't, (laughs) we could play it. And it was Elton John's greatest hits. And we used to sing our lungs out on the way to school. And he would pick me up, we'd jump in the car, we'd hit the button and we would sing our lungs out all the way back. So you can hear this sound coming out of the windows. And then he got a new car. And this one had a CD player in it. So my dad got uh, Elton John's Greatest Hits. Mm. And we'd get in the car and he would blast it all the way to school and he would blast all the way and it was great. And then I went to high school and oh my God, I couldn't get out the car and close the door fast enough. He said, my dad would still be mid singing. And I'd be like, dad, dad, turn it down. He'd be like, no, this is what we do. Mm. And he kept on doing it. And I would walk towards my dad's car well, before I had a car, and my dad would always be blaring and I would slide into that car so fast and go, 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 so no one would be able to see me in this car. And I would hold my head up against that window for humiliation that my dad was singing away to Sir John. Yeah. He said, and then one day, I got a car and I didn't have to listen to that anymore. He said, now, I'm in my late 40s, married, kids, Dad's no longer with me.
2: Hmm.
0: He said, but you know, I'll be taking the wife out for a meal. I'll be driving to work. I'll be going somewhere on an appointment and the radio will be on. And Elton John will come on. Do you know, for the next three minutes, my dad's next to me singing. Yeah. For random moments throughout the weeks, throughout the years, that man's music brings my dad back to me for random three minutes at a time. Hmm. I want to say thank you to him for bringing me dad back. We introduced him to Sir Elton John, he told the story, they hugged it out, they all had tears, and it was one of the most emotional things I'd ever seen. But we got the why. Had we gone with, you want a picture? Bang, picture, there's your selfie, cough now. You know, that would have been it. But we discovered what the why. That is still the case when you're coaching clients, and it's still the case with media. Do you want a ton of followers? that are 13 years old in the Philippines? Or do you want 10 people that are going to do business with you? Do mm. you want your uh, business uh, and your tone and your voice and your product promoted in an arena that has got nothing to do with you? Yeah. You know, all of these things are what a lot of people do. They misuse media. And then the other thing, and I said to you about it when you had the, uh, the interview with Jay, getting media is one thing, one thing. Yeah. What you do with it Everything. yeah, And so we launched Sims Media because we've worked with major companies from the Kentucky Derby, the New York Fashion Week, Formula One, the Cavalino Classic, Palm Beach Art Fair, Palm Beach Polo, the Grammys, Surround John's Party. There's a massive list where we've helped market and brand and distribute the tone and voice of what that stands for Mm -hmm. and why you want to go to the event. We've initiated desire for those events. So building it into the media company made sense. And then the last one that you, you, you brought up, which is a giggle, is the speakeasy. Yeah. Um, I wondered, and I challenged myself, and I challenge anyone out, I, Stacy, I challenge you to do this, yeah. okay? I wondered, did I have the credibility to sell you a ticket and not tell you anything about what you were buying?
1: Hmm.
0: Now that sounds ridiculous, okay? but people are selling stuff today because they're leaning up against a car they don't own or they've got some slick copy or they've got a a picture there with a bunch of models or, you know, they're doing a selfie on a private jet and you're buying that courses because of that. Yeah. What if I could sell you a ticket and it doesn't even have my face anywhere near it? Hmm. And so I was challenging my credibility, and it's scary. It's like inviting all of your friends to a birthday party this weekend and no one turns up. You really discover who your friends are. Most people don't want to do that because they don't want want to believe it. They don't want to see it. Um, But I wanted to challenge me. I wanted to find out how good I was in the eyes of anyone else. Mm -hmm. It's quite revealing. So I literally turned around on Facebook and went, look, spend two days with me. I'll tell you everything I know. $2,000 uh, $2,000 San Diego. Yeah. That was it. You know, actually, actually was Carlsbad, <laughs> and I put the dates cause I was free these couple of dates. And I thought, is anyone, and I had a PayPal button on there. I thought, is anyone going to buy a ticket? And then I went back to it like the following day and all of a sudden I had about like 10 or 12 people that purchased tickets. And I'm like, this is crazy. I haven't told you anything. Mm-hmm. And I phoned, up a, uh, I phoned up one of the guys that was on there because he's a friend of mine, okay? And I'm like, Tim, you've just spent $2,000 on this ticket to spend two days with me. Now, I was being British sarcastic with my next line. I said to him, what's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> you know, thinking like, are you mad? You know, yeah. what's, what's wrong with you? But I said to him, what's your problem? And he turned around and he went, and I'll always remember this. He went, good question, Steve. I'm having trouble with this. I've got a bottleneck with this. And in my sister, he told me. Hmm. I thought, shit, he's actually just told me what his problem is. Mm-hmm. So I went through all of those people, phoned up every single one of them. And I went, hey, Jackie, I uh, see you registered. So what's your problem today? So I changed the tonality of the question a bit more. Mm-hmm. And they all told me. And I thought to myself, I've spoken on stages all over the planet and the attendees know I'm coming because I'm in the lineup, because I'm being advertised, because I'm being promoted yep. along with Damon, and John and Jesse Insler and all the other people out there. They come along because they want to see these people. They don't know who these people are, but they go and they know it starts at nine o'clock and they know it's here and they know tea break. Is it t- They've got all of the details. Yeah. I wasn't giving you any, but I knew I now knew what your problem was. Yeah. So what I did was I actually then got people in that could answer our problems, and people left going. I turned up. I didn't know where it was going to be because we don't tell them the location until the week before. Uh, they know the dates. We tell them what hotel to book. We usually get a rate at the hotel for them. but we gave them all this. We gave them very very little information, but we focused on the one thing what is the problem you have that we can help solve before you leave the room? Mm. And that's what did it. And we've been running these for three years now. Um, we never do more than 40 people. They're always sold out. Last one was San Diego. One before that was Arizona, Nashville, Vegas, Reno, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Mm. You know, the next one's in Austin, Texas in November. You know, and what we do is quite simply the exact same format. We give you a date, uh, and you can find these on stevedsims.com. Look up Speakeasy and be stunned at how little information there is. <laughs> um, and uh, we just focus on finding out what your problem is. Yeah. And as long as we know what your problem is a good couple of months before the event, we can make sure we've got someone that's going to come in and answer. And if we can't, we let you know we can't. And then we be you the money. I'll move you over to the next one and get someone that can.
2: That's phenomenal. I love that. You know, the, the one thing that I love about about your question, why it's it's one of my. So so I ask two questions. First question I ask is why, because that's 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 the language most people speak, but they speak it at a surface level. Then my follow up question after that is, what's the purpose? For what purpose? Because reality is, so many people come up with a thought. And it's so surface level that they've really never put thought into what's underneath of it. And it's that deep structure that really makes the movement. Yeah. I've I've always had a belief that if your, why really matters, I'm sorry, if your, why is deep enough, then the, how will never matter. So, so Steve, welcome to the signature question of the show and what the, and that is what does selling without selling mean to you?
0: Um, Well, for a start, I think if you're selling, you're doing it wrong, Mm -hmm. okay? So I have never sold, and this sounds a a very strange thing to say, but um, I've never sold you anything, but I've solved your problem. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Now, if you can show up to someone as a solution, then they want it. You know, if I can give you a solution to lowering your mortgage, to making your car run better, to helping you lose weight, to helping you become richer, then I'm a solution. People want solutions. Today, when you are sold, it is a game of tactics and wordsmith and, you know, getting you down a funnel. People don't want to be sold today. They Mm -hmm. want to be solved. So focus on you becoming a solution to somebody else's problem. And if they don't have that problem, stop the conversation and find someone that does have the problem.
2: Hmm, Amazing. So thank you for that. So welcome to the random round. I believe that success leaves clues. And I like to ask questions that extract these clues for our listeners to to decide, uh, you know, what works for them and incorporate it into them. So your random round question today is what's your favorite
0: word and why? You know it. I know. (laughs) So we've already answered it. My favorite word is why? And the reason why is because it actually gets to the core of the question Mm -hmm. rather than you dealing with the superficial surface level, which is nothing more than a transaction.
2: So I'm going to do double duty and ask you one more. How do you decompress? How do you recharge?
0: Um, By focusing on the smiles. I said to you before that I need to make sure I have a lot of smiles in my my day. That Mm -hmm. could be riding the motorbike. It could be playing around in the garden with the dogs. Last night, I just sat around the, uh, the, the fire pit with my wife, just had an old-fashioned, and just sat there and just chatted and told jokes. So I make sure that each one of my days count.
2: Nice. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Steve, it's been phenomenal talking with you today. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. If our listeners want to hunt you down and find you, where can they find you at?
0: So I am Steve D. Sims, D for dashing, and there's only one M in Sims. I'm Steve D. Sims everywhere, which I still find funny that, you know, people don't have the same URL everywhere. But stevedsims.com, you can find out about my events, my coaching, my podcast, uh, anything you like. Um, Or you can find me, Steve D. Sims, on Facebook. An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims is my private but free Facebook group. And find me on Instagram, where I do a lot of my postings of. My camping that I was talking about, riding (laughs) motorcycles, drinking too much whiskey and uh, the occasional meme.
2: Fantastic. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. It has been phenomenal talking with you today. Your success is important to me and it's also important to me to make sure that these episodes are valuable to you. I would love for you to do a few things right now. I'd love for you to hop over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. That's hop over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. Second, I'd love it if you'd head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. That's head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. We have an immense amount of interaction on both platforms. We also share different information on both platforms. So we look forward to seeing you there. Last and definitely not least, I love to chat with you, give feedback on the episodes, and find out any topics that you're interested in to help make this podcast more powerful and helpful to you achieving the success you've always dreamed of, desired, and deserved. Head over to pivotpointadvantage.com talk to stacy That's pivotpointadvantage.com talk to stacy Let's get a 15-minute call on the schedule. I look forward to getting to know you.